All right, so we back is um uh oh. So we back is um Canaan Powers and Faya. Faya, you there? This is Faya as in faithful ya. All right. So today we just going to talk about um some reports written by the United Nations um about the US uh, racism in the US um against African Americans specifically. Uh, so we just going to go over a few talking points about these articles, um, about the significance of them, how we feel about them. And we're going to try to give you all some some details about the articles and some quotes and uh, things that you all can go back and research for yourselves as well. So with that being said, um, Faya kind of brought this to my attention. So if you want to just give a brief explanation as to why you thought it was even important or why why you read through the reports once you found out about them yeah man uh so the report in question that we're talking about uh these specific reports uh they refer to the u.n reports on structural racism in the united states and uh i think they're important and interesting in uh, more than one aspect. One is that uh, from a historical point of view, it sort of uh, indicates the role of the foreign and worldwide perspective and what's happening to Blacks in America and what role that plays currently and what role has it played historically in what happens inside the United States. In other words, when the eyes of the world are on a nation and the human rights atrocities that are going on in that nation, sometimes uh, a world, a global witness, it helps to put pressure on that nation to, you know, correct uh, those atrocities that are going on and to and uh, to be held accountable, at least in terms of media and getting eyes on the problem. And sometimes that translates into real action. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like if a nation can get away with doing things in private and hidden, then uh, it can go on a lot longer and there can be sort of less uh, witnesses to what's happening. And then uh, the other thing I think is, um, uh, it's just interesting uh, and it's sort of a, it's a legitimization. It can be a legitimization in our eyes, for example, when we see uh, all the members of the United Nations specifically addressing the, the concerns of what's happening here in the United States with such precision and such intimate detail. It, in my opinion, it can lend uh, legitimacy and credence to what we see happening. But within the within the scope of our own country, we're often told that, you know, it's either not happening or we're being vague mm -hmm. or maybe maybe racism is an issue, maybe not. Well, Magic Johnson made it and so did Oprah. So is it really real? And is it my fault or what's going on if niggas just get their act together? Mm -hmm. And so there's all this uh, confusion about it within the context of our own media systems and propaganda and dominant culture. But when you see an outside perspective come in and so concisely cite uh, what the problem is and what is being seen, 
um, I think it's very interesting in, in that context because it's, it's uh, legitimizing. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Like you said, from a, to get an outside perspective is always good. So, um, and for them to be so concise, like you said, um, and really pinpoint the problems that we see are problems that is uh, affirmation. Like, you know, we're not crazy out here. <laughs> Somebody is acknowledging uh, what we've been saying for generations. Right. It's sort of like when you're like, uh, hey, man, you see something and you turn to somebody next to you, you need a, another set of eyes like, am I tripping or is this right? Right. <laughs> is this what I'm seeing? Yeah. And when that other person can validate it, you're like, OK, yeah, man, because I thought I might have been, yep. you know, going crazy at first. I thought I was tripping. <laughs> exactly. No, that's real, man. So um, I know the article. um. I can't remember exactly the news article, but the writer was Ben Norton. Um, and I was just going to go through a few things that uh, stood out to me as I was reading the article and kind of my reaction to that. And to let the to let the audience know, um, we did draft this uh, information from a few articles that we got online. So you can actually reference these articles um, if you want to learn more about them or if we missed something. So... One of the things that it kind of started out with was saying that the United Nations condemns, which is a powerful word, um, mass incarceration, drug war, human rights crisis, and police killings um, in the U.S. against African American people. So it's real specific, um, and it's and it calls for reparations. So I think that's also important because the United Nations is calling for reparations for Black people specifically, and that's huge. Um, just reading it and looking at it like, man, that's that's what we talking about. But me being skeptical because I just know that racism is a worldwide thing. Um, so my question is like, why now? Now, this article was written in 2016, but still the question is why 2016? What happened to make the United Nations feel that it was important to address this issue? Is it really something they want to do to help um, better African-American people, or are they just trying to, you know, poke at the United States because there's some underlying uh, political agenda and they're just using, you know, African-Americans as a way to get their foot in the door, you know, for whatever political reason. Uh, so what's your take on kind of that stance? That's kind of what I got from just that, um, like I said, that's just the beginning kind of introduction of that article. Um, and that was just kind of my take from it. Did you want to comment on that? Well, yeah, man, I think that uh, I think that uh, sometimes uh, you can look at things from a practical purpose and sometimes from a um, sort of a, a critic with a critical eye. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, OK, so if 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 an opportunity arises so say, okay, say you would, and I, you know, I love my metaphors and allegories, but mm -hmm. you go somewhere and you're going to um, say, take out a new credit card uh, that promises you, you know, 10% cash back on every purpose purchase mm -hmm. uh, from a critical eye. It could be, okay, what is the credit card company's motive for doing that? Do they care that I get cash back? Uh, mm -hmm. Is that their primary motivation? 
or do they feel like they're going to get something out of it? Now, it could be that they plan to get something out of it, right? Which is likely in the case of a credit card company. Mm-hmm. And that and that would be sort of a consideration, but it would, I'm not sure. I, what I would have to do is weigh that consideration with the, the benefit that I am, you know, planning or strategically working towards. So say I have a budget and I say, well, I want to increase my credit rating Mm -hmm. and um, I want to save money and do all these things. So then if I can look at that offer and say, regardless, either they're going to get something out of it or they're not, but either way, does it fit? uh, Does it fit what I'm doing? Right. And sometimes it'll come down to that because sometimes the the motivation, there's a cost benefit analysis that's done. So when, when you look at the UN putting out a port that calls for and demands reparations on behalf of black people, and they are not um, sort of shoehorning uh, maybe, you know, an LGBTQ or feminist or anything like this, like you right. don't see any other obvious motivations that are that are going to be in the way um it could be a useful thing mm-hmm. and fair, uh man. right i think from a critical point of view if we're already moving right uh northbound and we're getting we're going to the city and we look over and you know here comes somebody in, a, in the other lane that wants to uh you know give us fuel or you know, it's a stop where we can fuel up and just anything that helps us get to our destination. I think that it can be useful mm-hmm. regardless of the motive. So, uh, yeah. no, that's that's a fair way to look at it. Um, I, I, I can agree with that. But, yeah, that's kind of my first thing is I'm always a little skeptical when somebody's offering help for black people um, because a lot of people steal from us or they want something from us and we just don't focus on like what other people's motives can be because sometimes I think it's frowned upon when we kind of question people's help for us. And I think that that's, um, it's a, it's a time and place for it though. Cause you want to make sure that you really getting the best out of the deal. You don't want to be tricked into something else. Um, cause somebody's just trying to use you to get over on somebody else. But, yeah, um, that's, that's true. Well, yeah, but I, I think that what you said is a fair way to look at it. And um and definitely a, a positive way of looking at it um versus negative. Uh, I don't have that article pulled up, but if you do have it, um, if you want to read a little bit from it, we can read the actual article. Okay, well, I do have it here in front of me. I was okay. sort of flipping through it. Uh and maybe could just read some of the salient points, man. I'll tell you, yeah, this whole thing is heavy. Okay. And this opening statement, like you said, to me is very powerful. Uh, and again, uh, I'll just read some excerpts from it. But to me, there are so many impactful uh, phrases and it's, it's so unfiltered in a mm-hmm. sense, in a political sense that, um, I would advise everybody to actually just read it. I mean, it's this particular uh, article is a take on the UN report. Okay. And just to summarize it for all the listeners, 
the United Nations, they have a Council on Human Affairs uh, that sort of is a global watch group. They don't have sort of military enforcement, but what they do is they watch for um, civil rights violations around the world and they sort of make these reports. So it's sort of a watchdog agency, uh, information gathering agency, um, et cetera. And uh, you know, the list of members, uh, members of the United Nations is, is a very extensive list. It's basically most of all developed countries. So mm -hmm. uh, the title of this article is Scathing UN Report. Uh, structural racism endures in the United States and the government has failed to protect African-Americans' rights. A subtext here says UN group condemns mass incarceration, drug war, human rights crises of police killings, and calls for reparations by Ben Norton, published October 7, 2016. Um, and so, let's see. Just an opening quote from this is, uh, there's a profound need to acknowledge that the transatlantic trade in Africans, enslavement, colonization, and colonialism were a crime against humanity and are among the major sources and manifestations of racism, racial discrimination, Afrophobia, xenophobia, and related intolerance. Past injustices and crimes against African-Americans need to be addressed with reparatory justice. Uh, it says, despite some gradual gains over the decades, the working group cautioned that it remains extremely concerned about the human rights situation of African-Americans. In particular, the legacy of colonial history, enslavement, racial subordination and segregation, racial terrorism, and racial inequity in the United States remains a serious challenge as there's been no real commitment to reparations and to truth and reconciliation for people of African descent. So yeah, man, uh, mm, yeah. that being said, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's novel. Like one of the, one of the things I wanted to, that I wanted to, uh, talk about uh, in this that I find interesting is that besides it being refreshing and legitimizing, like we said, just sort of um, what does this mean in terms of the ongoing struggle that, that, we, that we have undertaken in the United States for not just African, not just our own rights, as black Americans and descendants of slaves in this country, but by extension, all of humanity, because there's more at stake than just what uh, we tend to, what we stand to gain or lose, right? Mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an ongoing legacy struggle that is um, a marathon of generations that we are involved in. And, and what's at stake, I believe, like in the same sense that, uh, how the defeat of Hitler and Nazi Germanism didn't just mean salvation for Eurocentric uh, Jewish people, mm -hmm. but it meant the bringing to heel of a tyrant, uh, of a, of a uh, manifesto of white supremacy that would have eventually, uh, you know, that sought to control and take over the planet.
Mm -hmm. I don't think this is anything less, you know, Mm -hmm. though we be just black people in the United States who they claim is just looking for a check. I think there's way more at stake, not just for us, but for people groups. So my question is, this report in particular from the United Nations that we're looking at now, what does it mean, if anything, uh, towards our struggle? And uh, is it a plus? Is it a negative or is it just, a, you know, a neutral, neutral thing, a voice in the wilderness, as it were? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a good question. Um, that's a real good question. And I personally, I think it's a little too early to say for sure. But just off of if I was just to guess, I would say that this is a this is a good step um, forward for us. Um <clears throat> but definitely it's going to have to be a follow through. Like it just needs to be more follow through basically, or even, um, even just the lack of a response from America to the report to me is a no follow through. Cause it's like, what does that report mean? If they don't even have to acknowledge that they read the report, um, you know, or if they don't feel like they should address the fact that the United Nations is calling them out for it. like, you know, basically those type of things will make me, um see if the united nations is serious because if if america don't acknowledge the report if the united nations don't do you know have another step in process like what else are they going to do or say to kind of keep that fire going if they want to light it um that's kind of my stance on it at this point and that's interesting that you say that i have here a note i sort of scribbled down and basically to sort of to sort of, uh, to sort of, you know, I concur with that. Mm -hmm. The thing is when someone recognizes, it's almost like if you have a person that's putting forth effort and doing something, Mm -hmm. there can be a voice of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes a voice of encouragement is sort of like if you have a coach or a personal trainer or something, it means that you may still be the one doing the, the heavy lifting and the lifting right but the results can be you can be motivated you can be let to know that you're on the right track that you're doing well that you're going to get those results that someone is recognizing your effort that it's not all in vain as it were because sometimes just knowing that you have an ear it can go a long way towards the effort and in saying that You know, there's one example I want to cite um, when we go back to uh, we talk about uh, slavery and the emancipation. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we think and I'm not sure if we mentioned on this channel before, but that emancipation just happened when, right, the morality of the country decided that it was time to do so. And that whites in particular started to empathize with the um, with the plight of the Negro and that it was just time. However, there were other factors that happened beyond Mm -hmm. which uh, obviously it was the financial interests of the North and the South came at odds with each other. There was a financial conflict and Mm -hmm. there was a a segregating economy within the United States that could be said to be one of the the primary fuels of even the the spike in the abolitionist movement of the day and the uh, the sort of efforts to end slavery. 
But also one thing I think that gets overlooked historically is the foreign policy pressure that Lincoln was under. I have here an article, it's called The Emancipation Proclamation Was Also Foreign Policy. Uh, mm. This was an article written by Steve Jones, was updated February 1st, 2019. And I'm going to just take some liberty at uh, just quotes here. It's everyone knows that when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, he was, um, you know, quote unquote, freeing enslaved Americans. But did you know the abolition of slavery was also a key element of Lincoln's foreign policy? Skipping down here in the article, when Lincoln issued the Preliminary Emancipation Proclamation in September 1862, England had been threatening to intervene in the American Civil War for over a year. Mm. So here you have a country that's divided, it's engaged in an actual civil war where it's fighting against itself. And you have a foreign entity that's watching and the threat of intervention uh, is, was part of, was amongst the things on the president of the United States mind. Mm -hmm. Obviously in this case, it meant a direct military intervention, most likely maybe an economic intervention. We know there were threats of embargoes against the United States, uh, but the concept of a country being divided against itself and then foreign entities being able to take sort of an occasion or an, an advantage of that, even if it's in that foreign entity's quest for power or a greater foothold um, mm -hmm. in the wor on the world stage, what it resulted in in 1862 was at least you know, the emancipation on paper, <laughs> you know. Right, right. And so here we have a situation where the United States is literally at, I believe, at civil war. You have law enforcement institutions versus the citizenry. You have mm -hmm. the same elements of conservatism and liberalism, which run in the same circles in many instances, but at least expressly and for terms of propaganda, you have these oppositional forces. Mm -hmm. And now you have politicians at the level of president and um, you know marketing that are forced to sort of do shows of humanitarianism um, or civil rights, upholding civil rights and talking about police reforms and et cetera. Right. Uh, would those topics and even the topics of reparation that were talked about um, on the presidential um, and the candidacy level for president, uh, would those conversations and things be happening in secrecy if there were a shroud over the happenings in the United States? Or does the world, does the, the, the advent of technology and that the world is literally watching play a role in, in that? Uh, that's a question. The rest of this quote says, Lincoln's intent uh, to issue the final document on January 1863 effectively prevented England, which had abolished enslavement in its own territories from stepping into the US conflict. Often we see uh, nations 
such in this case, England was prevented from the level of intervention that it would have been able to take had the United States sort of um, at least on paper cleaned up its own house. Mm-hmm. And right. we see the, the United mm-hmm. States attempting to criticize China uh, for its handling of the corona and its um, sort of what it was doing to Africans there in China, allegedly. Um, and then mm-hmm. China quickly pointing out how the United States treats black people mm-hmm. in these borders. So I think that uh, historically, just citing that Emancipation Proclamation as being like sort of a very salient and obvious um, um, instance that we can point to, I think that, and even then, in that case, black people had to take up arms and help fight in a civil war. Right. So it's it's we do the heavy lifting for ourselves. It's not that um, without the efforts of black people and the ongoing struggle, there wouldn't have been anything for sort of England to say, hey, we're going to intervene in that ongoing issue you got there. We are the ones that have, are carry sort of the struggle and the fight and the legacy that others are looking to and citing because we have to be alive, right, in order for them to in order for this, this you know, this whole right. thing to be a consideration in the first place. But yeah, my, my, my opinion would be, they, uh, it's on us to do the heavy lifting, but I think that it can be an opportunity. And we're citing the 2016, the 2016. Uh, did you have anything on that, man? Um, uh, no, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of good points that you touched on, but I think the overall thing that I would say to that is, um, like you said, um, like you mentioned, England was kind of putting some pressure on the U.S. Um, and we got some paperwork and a response from the U.S. You see what I'm saying? Like the follow through. And then, like you said, um, the black people, how we had to do the heavy lifting. And I think that all of those things from these reports, I want to see, you know, something along those lines as well. But I will also just like to see um African-American people have learning from our mistakes uh, from the past, anything that we may have um, stumbled over. I think it's important that we make sure we don't make those mistakes again, just to wind up in the same predicament in another hundred years, because even the abolishment of slavery and the condemning of slavery um, was a good thing, but we know that um, a lot of things were able to creep underneath Um, those documents because of the appearance that America was going in the right direction. But we know now that we are here today that that was more of an illusion than an actuality because it was pretty much a conversion. It was, it was an abolishment of slavery or not. And in my opinion, it wasn't because people are starting to understand that it was just converted into the prison system. And there's a lot of evidence that support that when the slaves were freed, they pretty much just criminalize their actions, things like not working. So imagine telling a slave that they free and then criminalizing them from not having a job because you probably ain't going to want to work after you've been a slave for who knows how long. But um, things like loitering, they had no place to go. They start making those things illegal. So you just see that that was really a conversion. So with the condemning of um, America in the way that it's treating black people, I think is definitely excellent. But I just hope that um, there's a follow through from America and I hope that us as a black people 
have learned from those mistakes to make sure that we are sitting at the table when it really comes to the political um, aspects of following through. Basically, that's where I'm kind of at. So I, I, I like the fact that you brought that up as a reference um, and you made those points that you made. Yeah, man, I agree with that. And I do believe that um, I think practically uh, what we're doing here, even just this uh, just having the conversation mm-hmm. and uh, on, on this uh, relatively smaller level. Right. We don't have the scope of, of the United Nations platform or reports. Right. But uh, in the sense of us learning from our mistakes and from the past, that means learning implies having access to the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem that we face is that oftentimes our people are starved and deprived of knowledge. Same way we were we are deprived and starved of many nutritional things, right? Nutritional food, like we touched on in another episode, nutrition is not just foodstuffs, it's it's also knowledge and information that Mm -hmm. you need for growth and processing. And oftentimes we're deprived of that or it's sort of uh, pushed aside and what's presented mainstream is a lot of entertainment. So I think like what we're doing here, I think it's in line in agreement with the, with the, you know, the, um, the adage of each one teach one. Mm-hmm. So even if we don't have a, a huge platform to present information to people so that they can learn, right. right is uh, it's uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a necessary step in that us learning from our past mistakes and not repeating the same issues like we we have to know about them first Mm -hmm. a lot of people a lot of our people sadly it seems like they just dropped into this day like out of out of uh out of the sky Mm -hmm. out of the current right you know like that there was no yesterday yeah you know there's no tomorrow there's just today Mm -hmm. and uh being in the moment like that it's not good when you're talking life-size chess right if you if you're on a chessboard and you're a pawn and you're just standing there you have no idea what's going on all around you on that board Mm -hmm. and uh you have to draw back have a greater perspective look at all these different pieces and how they moved and how they've moved so that you can know what a long-term strategy looks like and uh that's sort of part of i think um is what's on us to do and each one teach one you know Yep. No, that's real. I like that. Um, so did you want to, um, would you going to read any more of the article uh, before I, I want to move on if there was something else? Cause I would like to still address some of those things. Cause we did just hit a piece of it, but like you said, that's the article was deep. And just so y'all know, like, that's just the, this is really just the surface of how important this article is, in my opinion. So um, I don't want to skip over anything if you wanted to continue on uh, with that. Let me let me just do this. I'll okay. summarize each of the categories. No, I'll, I'll read the headers of each of the categories it addresses just to spark the listener's interest and motivate okay. them to go look it up. And then if, if it's okay, I'll read a couple of paragraphs from the, the section on police violence. In, okay. In particular. Yeah, let's get so, into that. The one we read first was um, for the listeners, you know, and, and I don't 
you know, we don't want to sound condescending, but just reiterating some of this, some of these things, like when you talk about an article in a summary, usually that first paragraph or the header, is going to be what the article, it's going to be what the main topic of the article is in general and mm -hmm. what they're going to attempt to argue for or talk about. In this case, we already cited ab about reparations. This is a, essentially most of everything that is talked about in this article is to support that primary thesis of you know, reparations, that African-Americans, part of repairing something means reparation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's uh, economic reparation is, is a huge part of reparation, but it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, there's a section here on uh, police violence. After that general statement, there's a police violence. There's one on mass incarceration. There is one on poverty, homelessness, and social services. There's the next is on schools and the youth. The next is on civil rights laws. And then there's a summary. So I just want to read a few statements from this section here on police violence. Uh, police violence and bias in the criminal justice system are some of the most critical issues addressed in the UN report. Black Americans are disproportionately targeted for police surveillance and experience and witness public harassment, excessive force and racial discrimination, the group said, adding racial pro profiling is a rampant practice. Mm. It cited the Department of Justice report on the racially biased policing practices in Ferguson, Missouri, as an example of this institutional discrimination. The UN group exposed a deep concern at the alarming levels of police brutality and excessive use of lethal force by law enforcement officials committed with impunity against people of African descent in the United States. The report cited the killings of unarmed black Americans such as Eric Gardner, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, and Laquan McDonald and noted that police officers have rarely been held accountable for these crimes despite the evidence. It also criticized the lack of an official national system in the US that documents police killings. Federal authorities said the absence of the system is largely because the country's 18,000 police departments and law enforcement agencies are not required to report killings. The group said it welcomes the growing human rights movement in the United States, recognizing the efforts of civil society networks such as Black Lives Matter. Um, so, and it called for the development of policing strategies that give the community control of, of the police. The report recommended that communities make boards and approve the elect police officers. So this is just an example of that. Uh, this reminded mm -hmm. me of our episode we did on entanglement, uh, this specific uh, statement where it said it welcomes the growing human rights movement in the United States. I think mm -hmm. that's a very concise summary because if you look at the perspective of someone that's watching and then it says they welcome the growing human rights movement in the United States, that mm -hmm. infers that there is a growing human rights movement in the United States. That's our part. Right. And then they, they are sort of watching and welcoming. Mm -hmm. 
recognizing the efforts. And I think it it's sort of, uh, you know, I just thought that was. Um, yeah, no, that's, 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 that's really good. And um, I noticed, uh, cause I kind of took note on that part where they were criticizing the lack of an official system in the U.S. that documents police killings. Um, that stood out to me because I'm like, I don't think a lot of people know that and understand that and what that even means because we're talking about um, a law enforcement agency across the country um, who keep track of all the crimes that people commit, um, but they're not keeping track of their own conduct. That's just fishy. You know, I mean, it's not that hard to keep track of, of something like that because you have to have reports um, and, and things for any arrest or any kind of police incident. So why wouldn't you have something that the public can access or even the United Nations can access um, that's documenting how many killings are even happening? Because if these are the killings that we see, it, it ain't no telling how many we don't even know about. That's the scary part, you know, when you really right, think about it, especially as African-American people. And it's ridiculous that you can go online and you can find statistics and database on uh, the database about, you know, how many citations were issued. Was it right. parking? Was it speeding? There are cameras that catch the speeding. You can go in, you can look that up. If you want to go tomorrow, you can go find probably your entire history of every citation you've ever been handed out mm -hmm. and the number of the, the officer that issued it by county, by division, by organization, but yet mm -hmm. <laughs> killing, like, right. you know, you can issue someone a ticket and that's very well documented. Right. Kill someone and, uh, you know, no need to record. You got to go find, yeah, you got to go look that up on in the newspapers, maybe, or, you know, interview yeah. family members because, but then again, uh, killing civilians isn't the same mechanism that they would use to um, make money. You know, issue mm -hmm. a citation, you get money, right. you want to pursue them, you want to get those fines, and, right. and you want to increase those fines for late fees and et cetera. You know, yep. so they yeah. I guess they have an incentive to uh, document certain things, right? Yeah, obviously. And um, another thing, when I was reading through it, they they mentioned um, how the U.S. wasn't cooperating with the U.N.'s human rights mechanisms uh, by not giving them access to Mississippi State Penitentiary records. So, again, uh, these are the things that I was kind of noticing where I think the U the United Nations is doing a huge thing by making this report and um I would just hope that they would back up African Americans because I believe once people read about this, um, it is gonna spark an initiative for them to, to get up and go do something because you feel like you got somebody watching and they sound like they're in support of you, in favor of what you're doing. So um, you know, when we start demanding, you know, more things, more accountability, um, us getting access to, you know, police records public records by the way this is supposed to be public stuff however if um if there's an ongoing investigation they have a lot of loopholes where they'll say we can't release certain information but my thing is about when the investigation is closed there really should be a a, a easier process where we the public people can get access to police records but you, you can barely get access to uh, police camera footage, just regular traffic stops that didn't 
didn't involve any kind of investigation. But if you go request like police cam footage from a certain officer because you just want to analyze their conduct, they'll say, well, you have to be the party who, um, you know, who was getting cited. And I think that that's ridiculous because how are we really going to crack down on uh, misconduct if we can't view the conduct of police officers on a regular basis, not just during a killing, but, you know, just aggressive tones and um, a police officer's voice, things that we can catch as citizens to say, hey, we need to check this officer out because he might not have killed nobody yet. But based off of what we've seen in his um, previous 100 traffic stops, he's he got the itch. You know, we don't have access to the information. So I think by them not giving um, not cooperating with the U.N. makes us as African-Americans more responsible to press them because now we have to say we know it's not just us that they're refusing to let this information out for. Um, but we know it's something that they're hiding because that's the only reason you wouldn't give out that information. And that was kind of um, a lot of blabber. But I just wanted to make that clear that I thought that that was significant. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, man. I, yeah, that makes sense. And and even if the person, whether the person, um, you know, gets to the point of killing or taking a life or whatever, I think all of that other history, that track record is enough in and of itself because you don't want people negatively impacting the lives of others, their self-esteem, their... Uh, you know, states of, uh, you know, their mood, mm-hmm. uh, depression and all these sorts of things that get exacerbated by, you know, the fear of, um, you know, driving around or the increased tension uh, yeah. when, you know, you look and you see a squad car behind you and, you know, they're, you know, they follow you or whatever. I mean, that in and of itself, it's, it's a crime against humanity in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's enough. You you don't have to kill people immediately to, you know, torture them to death right. or even exactly. torture them to the day they die. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of, uh, of of aspects that come into stressing a person. It's like, um, you know, you can have you have if you turn a faucet on and you let it just drip, 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 drip. Yeah, each particular drop may not be, you know, something that drives you insane. But over time, the constant nagging, the drip, 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 at one point, it gets to the anticipation of it that overall it becomes, you know, just like something that can be maddening. Mm-hmm. And uh, this sort of looming presence and... Um, uh, this sort of harassing, even the micro and mid-level aggressions mm-hmm. and disrespect by law enforcement. Right. You know, it can be paralyzing either in in the immediate or over time. And, yeah. and that's that's an injustice in and of itself. Death is just physical death. It's just like the ultimate sort of culmination of all that. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. And it, that just made me think of a story that um, a friend of mine was telling me about, she was pulled over, this is a lady, um, she was pulled over by a police officer and it was a traffic stop. I think she said it was speeding. However, um, she asked the officer um, what she was being pulled over for. And he told her that she, he didn't have to disclose that at the moment. He was asking her for her ID and um, proof of insurance. 
and she was insisting on knowing uh, what the traffic stop was for initially or in the first place. And she said that the police officer told her in front of her two daughters that if she didn't um, cooperate with him, he's going to snatch her out of the car and frisk her in front of her kids. And she said that was a quote. So he said it in a threatening manner, like, well, what does that mean that you're going to frisk me in front of my kids? Um, is that like a sexual harassment type of thing? And she basically just said that from that point on, like she has this kind of anxiety now with, with dealing with police officers. And she said that was the first encounter where she had that type of aggression from a police officer. So just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, like that type of terror or that type of trauma um, that people have to face every day is um, definitely a crime against humanity. So it is. You know, no, no doubt, <laughs> no questions about yeah, that's it. That's crazy. And again, we encourage people to look at this report. Um, this is a concise way to look at it. The article we just cited, but you can you can access the direct report. Mm -hmm. But it does talk about that. It talks about uh, sort of the microaggressions and the cumulative effect of um, sort of everyday ordinary acts of racism and aggression that are actually carried out or inferred to the as some extent it becomes it's real and it becomes also anticipated and imagined in the minds of the victim which yeah. is you know a bad a bad way to be and um you know people that are victims of this surely uh, you know understand what we're well, what we're talking about exactly yeah. yeah definitely go out and read the article because like i said it's it's stuff that we probably won't even be able to touch on because there's so much and you definitely want to have a good understanding about the importance of what they're saying. But we should also look at it with, um, you know, basically look at it real closely, fine comb, you know, through it, um, not just look at it as good or bad, but really read about it and formulate a, an opinion and start doing some things to help uh, to help use this as a catalyst for something bigger. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if we mentioned, like, uh, in the future, we plan to, um, I think we talked about that, or people uh, chatting in their, um, their yeah. questions or concerns Definitely. in the comments section there, and then um, talking or giving, bringing a topic to light or an opinion, and then we look at it, you know, possibly... Um, saying what the next topic or conversation would be that you know we'll look into yeah we can definitely answer those questions because um this is definitely meant to be informative um as well as you know we're giving our opinions that's that's obvious but we definitely want this to be something that uh people can learn from as well including us definitely so we had another one um was it was there more you had on that one i know we were um gonna... actually it was one more thing that I was just kind of thinking about is um, the, U the United Nations, this was the 2016 report, they called for uh, more thorough civil right laws. Um, and another one of my question was, again, you know, what's more thorough than, um, you know, anti-discrimination uh, laws that clearly say you can't um, discriminate against people for race, age, sex, religion, et cetera. Um, so some of the stuff, in my opinion, was still, um, like I said, I like the fact that they addressed it, but 
I did question like um how much weight would it really hold because I feel like a lot of things are in place, but without someone who really is gonna back African uh African Americans um you know militarily where we can have a a security and knowing that uh, we won't just be slaughtered if we go up against our oppressors uh, based off what somebody else is um, encouraging us to do. Um, I think that it's kind of, it still gives me just this, this notion of, um, you know, just political. You're just doing it to cross it off of a list, but I don't know what the follow through is going to look like. Cause I, it's a lot of laws that are already in place set to protect African-Americans. Um, but again, like that's not really, that's not really super important, but I did want to throw that out there from that last article. Again, I want people to go read it. So that's why I threw it out there because you really got to read through everything. Some of it is super, super strong and motivating and other pieces of it is just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, so definitely go read that article, but yeah, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, man. And, uh, I would play devil's advocate on that. Oh, please do, please do. That's the. But I think that they, uh, I think that they. So here on this civil rights laws is just this first opening statement. It says, current civil rights laws are not being fully implemented. The report warned, and even if fully implemented, they are insufficient to overcome and transform the institutional and structural racial discrimination and racism against people of African descent. Although the group called for new, more thorough civil rights laws, it cautioned that these alone are not enough. The UN group cited perceived disparities in the commitment levels and capacities of state and local governments to implement civil rights legislation. So I think on one hand, like you said, they're sort of, they're sort of talking, they're talking, right? They don't have any, you know, I don't think if we decided we we're gonna take up arms and you know the right to bear arms, you know, cite some clauses and demand that the cops tell us why they pulled us over in accordance with existing mm -hmm. statutes and civil rights laws. I don't think we could expect like sort of um, the UN to come repelling in off helicopters and <laughs> right, right. back us up. But I think that, um, I think they do like, they, I think they're, they say that uh, they recognize that, um, you know, the existing laws are either not enough, right? And then B, even the ones that we have, they're not enforced, right? Not enforced in our favor until it comes to. <laughs> it's funny, for example, when you talk about, say, for example, Title Title Five of the Civil Rights legislation, mm -hmm. I believe, um, and it allows for people to have to be put in essence it allows for people that um, individuals have to be put on the same footing as other individuals and in certain cases it's so for example someone comes from another country specifically under title five they can you know the government here has to pay for them to have an interpreter for mm -hmm. example or um for providers here for certain social services to be culturally sensitive, including their language. Okay, so we gotta speak to this person in a way they understand and you know, tax money has to go to that. So this is specifically a civil rights quote unquote victory 
that was won on the heels of the civil rights movement that is applied with prejudice to foreigners and to immigrants. Mm-hmm. Not hating on immigrants, but when you talk about the UN that comes in and says, hey, there's not enough uh, civil rights legislation and laws and the ones that you have, <laughs> they're not um, sort of enforced to the benefit of black Americans. However, they're enforced to the benefit of, you know, other uh, sort of this ambiguous umbrella for, for other people and descendants who were not even here necessarily during the struggle of the civil rights era, which was supposed to be a struggle in the direction of reparations to make people whole and repair people from Jim Crow, from sharecropping eras, from Jim Crow, from imprisonment, from police uh, brutality, discrimination, segregation, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet you have laws that then go on the book that are used in, you know, in favor of immigrant. Um, again, not hating on immigrants, but it's very interesting. Right. So, yeah, yeah man, no, I, I, I digress. No, no, that's cool. But I like that because I think that both points of views are very important. That's what we need. We need that balance especially when we even talking about these things, but uh, we definitely need balance in the actual offices where people are making these policies. Um, and, and, and basically I don't want to see black people get gassed up because you got this report from the United Nations. <laughs> and then, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, man, we about to go do something about this. It's kind of like somebody telling, um, you know, somebody being domestically abused, for example, and you tell them, hey, don't take that. You better let them know how you feel, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and this person like, yeah, man, stop, stop beating on me, blah, blah, blah. And then then people leave. And now you stuck there with the abuser and it's like, oh, it's about to go down because they're not really, you know what I mean? Like, that's my thing. Right, like, I, right. I, I appreciate it. And it's not that what they're saying is not right. I 100% like it. I just, like I said, it's too early for me to just say that I'm going to be super gassed up about it. But I want to be. Like, that's the thing. I well, want to be motivated by it. But I have to be cautious because I understand the complexity of uh, the type of oppression that we really are in. Well, like, yeah, man, but, and yeah, to sort of go back to what I was, the way I look at it is this, this one that we're talking about was out in 2016. Yeah. Even before 2016 in different shapes and forms, the UN has been commenting on the situation in the United States, especially as it pertains to African-Americans. Even when we go back to the, um, to the, uh, you know, back in the day, I'm going to say 50s, maybe it was the mm-hmm. 50s, uh, when you had the Communist Party that was sort of becoming involved in the affairs of the United States. You had Black people uh, sort of uh, had a sympathetic ear and a voice with the punk Communist Party uh, that were part, you know, part and parcel of other nations like Russia, et cetera. And they were saying, hey, what you're doing to Black people is wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to educate them. We're going to, you know, invite black people. And I believe at one point, even um, it was uh, Chavez, Hugo Chavez, and mm-hmm. that it actually invited and offered black people passage to, is it, yeah, I want to say maybe, is it, was it Venezuela, Argentina? Mm-hmm. Anyway, to his country, and forgive me for that. Um, 
ambiguity, but no. to his country and passage and say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll make you citizens. You're not treated right in the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't think black people by and large have historically really put much stock in these sorts of declarations and proclamations. But I think historically, when we look, they have sort of served as maybe confidence boosters, maybe, um, you know, feeling legitimized. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like when we go in a gym with that personal trainer, personal trainer isn't obligated to, you know, help pull that bar off your chest, you know, when you right. get on the bar, you got to do all the hard work it's, yep. it's painful, but it's making you stronger. And eventually you want to get into sort of the fighting shape mm-hmm. that uh, you project. But sometimes it can help to have a voice of motivation. But definitely, no, we have definitely. to be, like you said, to your point, to be leery of soothsayers or someone that will just sort of come along and see, be opportunistic. Yeah, so exactly. We're going to play the good guy. We're going to come here and speak on what they're doing to those Black people. Like yeah. maybe if we look at China and then an instance and you turn around and you look at what they're doing in Africa and how they treat black citizens that are in China. Right. It's sort of like, okay, man, what's, <laughs> what's really your motivation here? Exactly. You know, you're talking, you're telling us how bad we're getting treated. And then, you know, you are not a, hey, not you, you're, you're doing it yourself, right. let alone not doing anything about it. So, yeah, no, yeah. but that's good. Yeah. We could, well, yeah. So that's good. We can move on though, but I like I like the fact that we have this conversation. Facts. Uh, well, we got United Nations General Assembly. This is dated. Uh, this was distributed limited, seventeenth of June, twenty twenty. This is uh, the Human Rights Council, forty third session, twenty fourth of February, uh, through the twentieth of March, twenty twenty. And this is uh, just a couple of highlights. I'll just read the the very first header here. It says the promotion and protection of the human rights and fundamental freedoms of Africans and people of African descent against police brutality and other violations of human rights. So we fast forward to 2020. This is a report from the United Nations General Assembly. Um, Obviously this is, I believe this is the most recent one. And um, okay. they say they are alarmed, quote, alarmed at the resurgence of violence, racial hatred, hate speech, hate crimes, neo-Nazism, neo-fascism, and violent nationalist ideologies based on racial or national prejudice, including the resurgence of racial superiority, ideologies that incite hatred and violence against Africans and people of African descent. What you got on that, come on. Africans and African descent, huh? See, I like it. Facts. I like it, I like it. Facts, facts. One fact that I know is that recently um, there has been, there has been a push for the term African, first of all, is, um, is broad, okay? Because they're actually, I was filling out a birth certificate um, documentation recently. And on the documentation, it said 
um, your ethnicity. What what ethnicity um, are you putting for this child? And it said African. And underneath it, it said white African. It said uh, Ethiopian. It said uh, Nigerian. Um, it did all these things, but it didn't say nothing about the African-American, nothing like that. It just had African and then it had these subcategories. And I'm like, well, what's a white African? So um, not that you can't have one, but um, this is the type of things that I pay attention to because now that they're trying to embrace it after all these years, um, they got all their ducks in a row. So even these reparations and all of this talk and this push, I do think that there's going to be some kind of underhandedness um, to say, well, what's an African now? You can't just say that it's a black person. Right, an African right. can be anybody, and we won't be able to defend that because we're going to be like, well, they make the rules. So um, it's just like the Native Americans. So there are a lot of European people who claim Native American and get Native American benefits. Okay, but they're not Native American, and there's there's um, proof that um people were paid to put Europeans on the Native American uh, reservation list. Um, you know, it's, it's the Dawes Commission um, report, if I'm not mistaken, and you can Google it. And um, they had this thing where I learned from a guy named Claude Anderson. Um, he talked about how they called these people five dollar Indians. Now. I'm not saying that in a racial way, just so, you know, as a disclaimer, but that was the quote uh, where people were paying underneath the table to become Native American so that they can get the benefits. And I don't think that is any different uh, when I see a report like this, because it's kind of repeating the same thing. But um, the timing of it, to me, is suspicious now that everybody can claim, um, especially in this um, identity crisis that Americans are going through where as long as you identify with it, then you are it. So anybody can just say that they African and black people can still be discriminated against if we're not in the in the in the right places at the right time. So like right. you said, I think that is beneficial to us, but we definitely cannot be sheep. We have to be um in a way we have to be wolves. Like that that mentality of um everybody hold hands so we all get a piece of the pie. We really can't think like that because people don't think like that as it pertains to us. Um, we'll get the we'll get the leftovers, the scraps. The slaves always got the scraps, you know. We don't want to get the scraps of reparations for black people. That's my thing. And I but, don't... Go ahead, go ahead. But no, no, I was just kind of... I just kind of rambled on again because I kind of do that. But no, I do not... like... I do like the... Um, I do like where this is going, basically. I don't want to seem like I, 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 I'm opposed of this report at all, but uh, I am very adamant about letting Black people know that um, we have to pay attention to every detail at this point um, in our fight for uh, you know freedom in every way, in every aspect. No, I think you're right. I think, um, and it's, there's nothing wrong with, here's the thing. We are not of the mindset that we have to exist in absolutes. So mm -hmm. if we look at, uh, we do it in every aspect of our life. When we're going to go buy something, mm -hmm. we're going to order something off of the menu. We look at the different ingredients because we want to know everything that's going into that meal or where we're going to consume it. And so we may want to make changes. It doesn't mean that we're not going to eat it means that we have to pay attention to what the cook is doing. And that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. But 
I think in the media atmosphere, sometimes we feel as if we're forced into absolutes in terms of like, okay, if you are, um, you know, if you're a left wing freedom fighter, you take this in the whole package, right? So, right. You, you know, you're going on Roland Martin and Don Lemon and you got to take everything <laughs> that comes with that mm-hmm. or, um, you know, no, I think it's healthy to, to look at, um, you know, in this case, we're looking at what the UN is saying. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it something in between? Can we, it be used to our advantage? And if so, uh, strategically, tactically, if we can use it, how? And then what does that mean? Right. And it's a healthy part of that process to say, what are their intentions? What does this language mean? Are they playing with the language here? Um, is this a ploy? Um, you know, and uh, and when and if we find that decision could be, uh, do we nix this whole thing altogether? Right. Or do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were? And just uh, eat the meat and spit out the bone, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, so, yeah, brilliant. there's nothing wrong with being uh, particular about it. I did want to comment. I find it interesting when you talk about um, this sort of watering down and changing and the perversion of language. And you know, yeah. for the longest time, they say, "Okay, we're African Americans," and that sort of inferred of um, dark skin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, African, we know it's um, at least in a popular mind, is it means dark skin, but technically the word has always meant a nationality because yeah. Africa is a continent. Right. You know, in Africa, you got Ethiopians, you got uh, Singalese, you've got people from the Congo, you've got West, East, and you now you've got a lot of Asian settlements in Africa. When those babies are born there, they are Africans. Yep. Uh, but now it seems like the dominant society, the mind of the dominant society loves to play with words, mm-hmm. you know, loves to do this sort of um, language confusion thing because that becomes the means of communication and conveying messages. And if you can confuse the, the language, you can confuse the people because mm-hmm. they're going to be hearing different things and they're going to be understanding different things right. and they're going to be believing different things. So, um, I think that, uh, but I think this, the fact that they are fiddling with languages and putting out messages and saying this and saying that it's a response to some sort of pressure or motivation. Right. And that pressure and or motivation is something that, you know, obviously they feel a need to respond to or act upon. And that's where we come in. I think that the fact that you have, you know, that we're questioning, what is it that the UN is seeing? They're saying something that they're seeing, obviously, and they're citing it as, you know, rights violations, human rights violations, ongoing legacies of slavery, et cetera. And the fact that they're having to voice that and that the mainstream is having to respond to it either by, um, in ignoring is a sort of response mm-hmm. or an action or an inaction. And then this sort of sliding the language. Okay. Yeah. Hey, on all of our documentations, I hear moving forward. Yeah. Let's just start saying African can mean, um, you know, whites also. And then, Hey, European can mean Latinos and, you know, mm-hmm. you can classify as, you know, 
And the very fact that they have to do that is a direct response from, from the heat. Right. And so in a way, it's a win. It's an acknowledgement. When you get into where, whether it's a wrestling match or say you're, say you're in a wrestling match and you're, you know, you're fighting your opponent and you engage, you go to the mat and you're trying to, you're each struggling for a position. And there's a, there's a constant ongoing opposition there. And then as you say, for example, rise up and get a position, you start to put leverage on that person. Mm. You'll see their position change. Their position will change because they're, they're struggling to keep their footing. They're trying to, even if as they're going over, mm-hmm. their position changes and they'll look different than they did a few moments ago. Right. That's based on the exertion that you're putting. And uh, even though the match is not over, the very fact that you have this, this tension and these shifting positions, it means that the match is ongoing, you know, mm-hmm. right. because if we were down and out flat on our backs, you know, the enemy would have one position just standing on you, right. period. But when we see these things, these reports coming out, sort of they're tweaking the census, they're finagling the numbers, mm-hmm. right? Black people, you're still 13% of the population for all this time, even though, uh, right, the yeah. other myth is that you got a bunch of welfare mamas that breed like rabbits mm-hmm. and we're right. all over the place. Oh, but on the other hand, we're still mm-hmm. 13% of the population. Right. And then on the other hand, right, uh, we have these um, campaigns and we're, we're skewing um, our health benefits. We're trying to kill your babies. We're trying to get you to buy in all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. We got to right. say that. Allegedly. Abandoned. But anyway, you have all this going on. And I say the very fact that we see it, it is um, ironically, it's a confirmation of the level of threat that we present mm-hmm. a, at least in a potential sense, if not right. in an actual sense today. Right. No, definitely, man. That's, that is true. And I think hey. that, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say uh, this, this UN, uh, this report general assembly, man, when you, when, you know, at the right time, I'll read this out. They actually say what they, <laughs> they actually make a claim here of what they actually want to do or are oh, okay. purporting to do. And uh, I've got a blue highlight here. Um, so it's it's a verbal, it's a written confirm, uh, condemnation per se, mm-hmm. but then they actually have something here. That I'll just read this quick. Um, Okay, this starts out welcoming all statements made by the special procedures regarding the killing of George Floyd, and in particular, their joint statement of June 5th, 2020, and the statement made by the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights on June 3rd, 2020. Article 1, strongly condemns the continuing racially discriminatory and violent practices perpetrated by law enforcement agencies against Africans and people of African descent and the structural racism endemic to the criminal justice system in the United States of America and other parts of the world recently affected. 
Article 2, express alarm at the recent incidents of police brutality against peaceful demonstrators defending the rights of Africans and people of African descent. Article 3, and this is, I guess, here there. Article 3, decides to establish an independent international commission of inquiry to be appointed by the president of the Human Rights Council to establish the facts and circumstances relating to the systemic racism, alleged violations of international human rights law and abuses against Africans and people of African descent in the United States of America and other parts of the world recently affected by law enforcement agencies, especially those incidents that resulted in the deaths of Africans and people of African descent with a view to bringing perpetrators to justice. Now, on that note, I just want to say this. Mm -hmm. When you have an ongoing effort, and um, here another uh, allegory or a metaphor here, you go to court, somebody, there's a wrong that happens, mm -hmm. and you, you want justice. So right. you go to court, and the first thing that happens is you, you present the charges. Now, this is before you know, when things are still even in the, the alleged state in, in legalese, you know, lawyers will say alleged, even though there's a video or sometimes, you know, whatever, this, this sort of necessary language of saying alleged and still has to be proved and case has to be proved or whatever. But the first thing that happens is the charges are presented. And depending on the jurors, right? The, the mm -hmm. skills of making the case. And then eventually something's got to happen at the end of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are seeing as we continue this legacy and fight for justice, we are seeing on a larger scale, the phases of, of, of trial and error and, and, and um, of actually uh, like something that could be, um, demonstrated as a, as a trial for justice like these charges are presented ever you know from the voices of us crying out or you're doing this this is wrong and you know mm -hmm. any sort of um, manifestation of that this UN report while in and of itself and what they're saying they propose to do is not the end all be all of it but right. I think it is it can be construed as a voice in a, in a, in a choir uh, amongst a symphony of time, circumstance, these charges that are being presented now and historically. And eventually every trial must come to, you know, a declaration and a sentencing phase. Right. So I think these things are really useful because whether or not it's a UN report or a video that goes viral, it all sort of goes into a general uh, consensus that there is a situation and that there are things um, happening. Right. And that when we are to learn and to make moves and exact justice, it all comes from the sort of um, being informed, being informed of things. And, um, I think eventually and inevitably these things come into play. I think they're part of, of just even just a natural happening, mm -hmm. right? When you hit someone, they cry out. 
And uh, that, that takes many different forms and we've been getting hit for a while. So mm. we can expect to see different voices, different uh, forms of expression, whether it's through official news or media or what have you. And it all becomes sort of, it's just a natural happening mm. and that we don't, um, I think uh, in that sense, as we move forward and continue with our heavy lifting, uh, you know, certain things we, we um, have to be aware of and scrutinize to see if we can use to our advantage. Definitely. That is, that's the truth. That's the, that's the biggest point and the biggest takeaway, I think, is um, just make sure that we use it to our advantage um, and don't let it uh, be something that is used against us, ironically, you know, because it just happens and it happens a lot. But I think that the mindset of people are, are cha is changing a lot. And I do think that um, this will be beneficial. All in all, I believe this report is, is huge. And I'm glad we're talking about it because I want people to understand that this report has been written. And um, so now is the time to really get involved in it, uh, read about it. But you do have to put a little work in it, like you said, some heavy lifting. And um, reading is actually the probably going to be the easiest of the heavy lifting. So if you can't even read through the right. articles and stuff like that, you know, that really sets us back as, um, you know, as a people, because we need people to be knowledgeable. It can't just be a few people who read the report doing all the talking because um, this is a big fight. And, you know, we have a, we're in a position where we can actually make huge progress, um, much needed right. progress, uh, but we cannot just uh, overlook it because uh, right now you got Kanan and Faya. We said we read the report and, you know, people just wait and see what we going to do. You know, not saying that that's a bad thing, but we need other people's support, you know, so let this be an inspiration. Right. We encourage everybody to just step your game up, get your weight up. This intellectual weight that we need is not just a... Um, it's not just for the matter of knowing something. It's a defense. Mm -hmm. It's a defense and an offense. When you see a, uh, you see Mayweather step in the ring, right? He can have the physicality, but if he doesn't have a boxing IQ, mm -hmm. then he's going to get picked. It doesn't matter how strong it can be. That can only go so far. Right. You know, you can take more hits if you are physiologically built for that. But it don't, it's not just enough to be built for that. Right. You need a boxing IQ so that you will know when to pull counter. You'll know what to recognize because you're making references to the past. Mm -hmm. When he moves his right foot and does that little shuffle, he's going to sway a little bit to his left. That's what I'm going to catch him with the left hook. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, that's an IQ. It's not just for the fact of bragging on an interview and saying, yeah, I got a boxing IQ. No, nah. right, right. The exactly. proof is in the pudding. When people see you in that fight and see, you know what you're doing, that's when you're going to get, you know, who people typically, you know, they root for, they, you know, a winner, champion. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, you got to up your weight. You got to up your IQ. And we encourage that. So as we move down, move uh, further with this channel, and we're just getting started. When we start to um, accept, uh, uh, when we start to accept suggestions from the listeners and 
you know, give people shout outs and everything like that, there will most likely be conditions put on that. Like, okay, yeah, did you read the article? Mm -hmm. Or how many times did you share the video, right? Mm -hmm. Or send us a screenshot of you like the video or whatever, things like that. Not just to um, maybe grow the channel in a selfish way, but it's an unselfish way because we're not getting paid for this, right? And right. then we are, what we want to do is teach one or two or three, you know, and then so yeah. that uh, corresponds with a growing number of years and listeners and then getting help on board, you know, mm -hmm. we can do this. And, uh, you know, that's what I've got on that. No, that's real. That's um, that's basically what it what it boils down to. Uh, we all need each other, and we all need the support, and we all need everybody to be all hands on deck. Um, in addition, we know that we're all dealing with with trying times, but you know, we just have to do a lot better when it comes to stuff like this. So I'm glad, Faya. I'm glad you actually brought this report to my attention because I read through it. I'm going to continue to read through. The second one, because like I said, I hadn't got to that yet before, but um, I'm definitely still going to read that. And um, I'll have more to say on that maybe in the future. But um, yeah, okay, well, yeah well, other than that, man, um, is there anything you wanted to close out with or wrap up with? Uh, not that I can think of like off the uh, um, at the moment, man. I'm glad yeah. uh, we did it, too. I think it's really uh, this is informative. And I just want to reiterate to people that um this is not a, a stagnant sort of one-time thing like we talked about the un report and then if someone um, references this video and podcast and says hey they didn't talk about you know the un report and opinion on on right. uh, jamaica or the colonization of jamaica and on what that had to do or or che guevara and you know whatever right. This is an ongoing open, like what we would call like a video essay. Mm -hmm. called Professor Black Truth likes to say that video essay. <laughs> an ongoing thing that can be edited, redacted, built upon. Right. You know, we're writing these things in pencil, not in ink. Mm -hmm. So we got an eraser in and, you know, write the right things in there. Exactly. So that's how it go. All right, man. Well, we appreciate the listeners again one more time. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Always hit the like button and subscribe. Um, other than that, mama, hit the you. like button <laughs> <laughs> all day. All right, man.